What's up, Beardos? You're listening to episode 147 of The Bearded Vegans. Basically, our whole philosophy boils down to, don't be a jerk. Don't really answer your question first. I'm not answering your question. I really hope people didn't tune in to hear us talking about beards. Welcome to the show. I'm Paul. And I'm Andy. And we are the Bearded Vegans, a podcast featuring a dissection of all things vegan. If you're just tuning in for the first time, you can find all of our previous episodes at thebeardedvegans.com, and you can always reach us by emailing thebeardvegans at gmail.com. In today's episode, we're going to talk about what we've been eating, go over the news, and then move into an interview with Chris Cooney, a.k.a. The Vegan Zombie. Paul, it's been a hot minute since we've had an interview. It has been, but we're we're back, and we got a, I think we got a pretty good one coming at you. So this is exciting. I'm excited about this. Yeah, I know when we, you know, when we first started this podcast, and we were talking about who we wanted to interview. I know doing a vegan zombie interview is something that we discussed, and it only took us three years to make it happen. But we have a very good reason because Chris is is working on a really cool new film, and we're going to talk all about that. But I don't know. Vegan Zombie has been someone like a, a YouTube channel that's had a presence in my life for such a long time. I remember way back in the day when Daya first came out and was still a novelty and mind blowing and and people thought it was the most amazing cheese ever. <laughs> the Vegan Zombie channel put out a video for how to make your own mozzarella sticks using it. But because they're shreds, it involved like melting down the shreds and then you know congealing them all together and putting them in a pan and then putting that in the fridge and then <laughs> so you'd have like a solid block of the cheese and then and then chopping it up and breading it and we did that and it was such a huge process but we thought it was the most mind-blowing thing that we had ever done nice we felt like we had reached some sort of next level veganism so anyway <laughs> we're not gonna be talking too much about the food in the interview but we'll be talking a little bit about it but mostly talking about this new movie so really excited for everyone to give that one a listen yeah, I, I remember the the my most watched vegan zombie video was there was one where they made pizza. I watched that one a lot, and I used that one a lot. And then there was another one where they went to Strong Hearts in New York, and they did the egg trick muffin. And I used to make that all the time, that egg trick muffin with like, you would cut out the little pieces of tofu using, you would just get like a glass and use that to like mold it, it mold a, a little circular piece of tofu. Oh, it's great. Now I really want one of those. Yeah, actually, I used to make that egg trick muffin all the time. So anyway, look forward to that interview. But before we get to the rest of the show, just a couple of quick announcements. The first of which is that, as we said last episode, mailbag's coming up. That means we want your listener questions, comments, and concerns for us to respond to, attempt to answer to on the next episode, which will be episode 150. So you got just a few weeks to get those in. And of course, with the mailbag episode comes three new iTunes review contest winners. And the winners get a Bearded Vegans button and sticker. And if you want to get in on that, all you have to do is write us a review of any star level on iTunes. We use a random number generator to pick three winners every time, and we will send those out to you ASAP. So help us help you. 
You know, it, it blows my mind that we we just really so we're recording on Wednesday right now and and the last week's episode just got released like five hours ago and we already have mailbag episodes in the email and I'm like wow people are people are quick quick draw quick draw email <laughs> the people that have responded to our episodes before we've even posted that they're available are my favorite people Paul. <laughs> All right. And this other little bit of announcement. So because we didn't think you had enough of our Denver food experience when I went to Denver, Andy recently was in Denver as well and got enough food that we decided to release another bonus episode all focused around the great food that's in Denver. And this time you get to to learn about what Andy loves to eat in Denver. So if you didn't get enough Denver last time, we got another Denver bonus app for you. Yeah, so that's available for free up in the Patreon. So you don't have to be a you don't have to be a pledger, but of course we appreciate it if you do <laughs> throw a couple bucks our way. But just go to thebeardvegans.com slash beardo. That's B-E-A-R-D-O. Follow the Patreon link and you will see that Denver food bonus episode, which I titled Things to Eat in Denver when you're vegan. <laughs> and you will you will find that. And I'm sure a few people got that reference, but it's a good time. There's actually very little overlap between what you ate in Denver and what I ate in Denver. Yeah. And I also give a few shout outs to a couple of Rochester, New York places that I went to recently. So yeah, give it a listen if the food talk is your thing. And speaking of that, <laughs> Andy, let's move on into the food talk. Have you gotten anything within this past week? Yeah, you know, I was at the Triangle Veg Fest, and it was a full, long weekend of veg festing because there was this this speaker fundraiser dinner that I went to on Friday. Saturday was the speaker slash education day, which is when I did my panel with JL Fields. And Sunday was the actual festival, which is what most people would think of as a veg fest with, you know, 50, 60 something odd vendors. And I have to say that the the one item that that outshone them all, Paul, was from Taylor Street Sweets, who's located in Timberlake, North Carolina, and they do all gluten free stuff. And so I, I feel like if you're like me, you're always like, oh, I guess this will be good for gluten free kind of thing, mm-hmm, right? You know, mm-hmm. you're never like stoked on it, but she makes some some truly delicious creations. And the one that I got this time, which just spoke to my soul, was the lemon bomb cupcake. Ooh. Paul, I I don't love citrus as a savory, but you put it in a sweet and I am all over that thing. <laughs> so this was just lemon on lemon on lemon on lemon. So it was a bright lemon sponge cake, like cupcake, filled with lemon curd, frosted with lemon buttercream, and then garnished with a shortbread cookie, lemon zest, and a lemon glaze drizzle. That sounds incredible. It was just like when you get a lemony dessert, you just, I want to get punched in the face with lemon, you know, (laughs) like, like equal parts lemon and sugar, I guess. But I I don't want people to hold back in that lemon flavor. And this thing delivered it so well. And yeah, I, I can't speak highly enough about this flavor combination. Definitely my favorite sweet that I've had from Taylor street sweet. So yeah, definitely check them out if you're in the North Carolina area. They're usually at most of the veg fests around here. That sounds like a sweet treat from Taylor Street Sweets. Say that again. <laughs> nah. <laughs> okay, and at the Triangle Veg Fest, a couple of beardos came by the merch table to say what's up. So just want to give a shout out to Layla, Lisa, Shane, Maggie, Corey, Christina, and Sammy for coming by to say hi. Nice. 
All right, Andy. Well, I don't. I haven't really had anything super exciting in this past week, so without further ado, let's move on into the news items. We have like a weird theme. So last week we had the the dairy theme, where we had a few kind of, I would say, more unfortunate dairy items that we discuss. And this time we just have some weird meat items to talk about. <laughs> Yeah, as promised last episode, we have a variety of meat, you know, animal flesh themed stories and we put them together and as as I was just sort of like noticing this theme, I was like, "Paul, I feel like this is news, but we could also put it under a segment entitled Are Meat Eaters Okay?" <laughs> so I feel like if we were like, you know, the morning zoo crew radio, they'd be like, is meat eaters okay? (laughs) Something like that. Beautiful. That was perfect. Yeah. Put that in. Put that in there. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So this first very bizarre piece of news is actually coming to us from Esquire. This story got covered in a lot of mainstream news sources, Paul. Mm -hmm. And uh, I chose this one because of the, the headline that they used, which is, this dude chewed and swallowed a hunk of bloody meat to terrorize vegans at a vegan festival. My God. Yeah. Okay. So let me read a little bit from this article. Last weekend in Amsterdam, some folks interested in vegan lifestyles gathered to eat vegan dishes and share vegan thoughts at a vegan food festival. It was a nice enough scene. Naturally, a man sporting a blonde ponytail and a go vegan and die tank top joined the crew, chawing on a pink hunk of raw meat and telling people that vegan diets are making people sick. The man wandered around the festival with his meal, followed by two helpers and a cameraman before being confronted by the police. Presumably because eating raw meat in public isn't against the law, he was not (laughs) arrested. Eventually, he left the festival grounds. It appears he posted this video a few days ago. It gets heated at points in the video as some festival goers gave the meat troll the confrontations (laughs) he so obviously craved. Mostly it's just footage of a weirdo forcing himself to chew, swallow, and digest raw meat to, quote, own the vegans on camera. (laughs) Hope he doesn't get tapeworms. So, Paul, this, this is, as I said, an Esquire, which I feel like they have some level of prestige. And it's definitely written very sympathetically towards the the attendees at the vegan festival yeah and it was also covered very favorably towards the vegans by vice and just a number of news outlets what do you think about this it is like truly bizarre and just like a a strange display of the lengths people will go to for like a weird joke because that like is I, i feel like Andy, I'm no no doctor, but I feel like that is a dangerous thing to do just to eat raw meat. I don't know, Paul. Aren't we natural meat eaters, right? That's how <laughs> we're supposed to, <laughs> with our canines, rip it apart. And like, but yeah, it's it just seems like a strange length to go through and to like, oh, like there was obvious setup to this. Like this individual created either I don't know if the shirt, the tank top was like just hand drawn or if they got like this specially printed or if there are just go vegan and die tank tops for sale at somewhere, which I guess would maybe not surprise me. But like (laughs) there was Andy, there was preparation that went into this. It was not just like this person walked by this festival and was like, oh, what's going on here? I'm going to I'm going to harass some people at this thing. This is like a premeditated thing. And it just it makes me nervous that like someone put time and energy and effort into planning this and at no point 
in that was like, maybe this isn't something that I should be doing. Or like, maybe this isn't worth all this thought and energy that I'm putting into this. So it is a little bit concerning, but yeah, just very strange. Definitely. Well, this person has a YouTube channel that has 33,000 followers. So as I read in the article, they were accompanied by a camera person as well as two, I don't know, bodyguards, maybe. <laughs> I don't know, just there for backup or something like that. But it, it definitely was something that's made to garner lots of views. And yeah. apparently this video, at, at the time of us recording, has a little over half a million views right now and is oh this this channel's highest viewed video oh god but it's not really i don't know it's like not really that incendiary like it it just i don't know it all just felt like very pathetic i guess and i don't know so for for me paul when i saw this video and i was like how do i feel about this and let me dig deep into the depths of everything we've learned about nonviolent communication and being empathetic towards others and with all of that in mind the only thing that i could think when i saw this video was what a fucking loser <laughs> <laughs> like it's just like one of those things where it's like it feels like someone that's like why isn't there a straight pride parade? You know, like, like people say that all the time. Like, well, I don't go around waving meat in your face and you should just respect my decision to cause harm to animals. Cause I don't, I don't try to force that view down your throat, even though it is forced down our throats constantly. And it's just sort of the social norm. So it doesn't really even need to be, or at least we don't even perceive it when it is, but mm -hmm. it's just almost kind of like, really, really dude? Like, we're such a small percentage of the population and you feel like this is the thing that you need to stand up for. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. It is, it is very sad. So I don't know how, how would you, if you were, we, you know, we're both at VegFest pretty often. How would you react if this guy came up to you and was this, this hunk of meat is so large. It's not just like a regular sized steak. It is, quite giant and so i did not watch the full video but if he did actually almost finish the entire thing like that's just i mean that's just like a, a large volume of food to consume of anything so i'm <laughs> sure he wasn't feeling too good but how would you respond if this person came up to the merch booth and was just munched on some raw animal flesh i think i would just feel like dude get a get a life <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I feel like I would just totally ignore him. Like, it's clear that all he's there is to get a reaction and was hoping to catch a lot of vegans, like, losing their minds about this whole thing. Yeah. And that just to be like, look how hysterical vegans are and they can't handle rational debate or something like that. Yeah. And it just feels like the best possible thing to do is to not give these people the attention that they want. I know that's exactly what we're doing right now, Paul. But, <laughs> <laughs> but in the moment, just so that they will like eventually leave if they're not really getting the reaction that they're trying to get out of people. I think it's better to just pay them no heed. Yeah, it is truly a strange thing, though. Yeah, it's, just, it's so weird. And I think also it's interesting because reading i didn't read every single comment and every single article about this but reading through a lot of comments on the various news sources for the most part everyone was like what the hell is this guy like even the meat eaters you know were the the omnivores and whatnot were like what the hell is this guy doing like this is ridiculous like it doesn't seem like this is a stunt that's really going to 
get anyone on his side uh, uh, except for a few people that are like really dedicated to trolling vegans you know you know what i you know what i think that might be andy because the next story i want to rehash this this small discussion that we're having right now because i I think that it might be this whole thing and and i think we touched upon this in the episode a couple episodes about the the anti-choice protesters and, and like the idea that people are more interested in having order than they are in having justice. I think that the reason that we see that Esquire and some of the commenters are on the sides of the vegans in this case is because in this instance, it's the vegans that are just kind of going about doing their business. And then the meat eater is coming in and like causing the disorder. So I think for many, maybe, maybe, maybe this is speculation, but for many non-vegans who are watching this, their, their dedication to having order outweighs their dislike for vegans, maybe. And that's why they're Uh like, oh, like, so no one should be doing this. And they would say the same thing, you know, if it was the opposite way around, if it was vegan protesters, they would be saying the same thing as we will see in the next article. But I think that that might be why, both vegans and non-vegans are seeing this as disfavorable is because it's disrupting it's causing a disruption and and people just don't like disruptions yeah i think that that is that's a pretty fair point paul uh fpp (laughs) yeah i think that this actually kind of exemplifies you know like people speaking out on both sides of this thing sort of exemplifies this idea that 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 you know, omnivores want to put forth, which is like, why can't you respect me and I'll respect you? And they were like, okay, this person is not respecting the vegans who are just sort of doing nothing. But it kind of just loses sight of the fact that if, if the vegans and the non-vegans just sit around deciding to respect the choices of those that it's, you know, like, again, it's not about the vegans. So they, they kind of forget that there's a victim there by just sort of calling this, this truce that, it allows them to comfortably victim continue to victimize animals while we sit by and say nothing. And I, I, I hate to like use those terms because I don't ever really like to think of it as being like there's two sides and they're the enemy or anything like like I don't think that that's like a productive way of thinking about it. But I feel like for this discussion, it's just sort of the easiest way to phrase it. But I don't know what like what do you think about that idea? I do no. I think that that's that's also similar to the discussion we had with the like the anti-choice protesters, and and more so than that. I keep saying, or I said once, like the anti-choice protesters, but it was more so the reaction to that, and and what we did see with that, similar to what you're saying, Andy, is people who aren't being affected by the thing, whatever it is, kind of trying to police how others should be protesting that thing and and that was i mean that was one of the main i feel like discussions that we had in that episode where it's like if you're not being affected by whatever it is don't tell people who are being affected how they should they should feel about it kind of and mm-hmm. and obviously in this case the animals cannot speak directly to us and they cannot say like hey this is 
this is how we feel about this, but they certainly let us know that they don't want to be in these situations. And we, I think that we can take that as like, Hey, they don't want to be in this, in these situations. So it's, it's doing them a disservice when we say like, Oh, I'm vegan, but I respect you. I, I respect your decision to eat meat because we're not in like, we're, we're not really in the position to be granting that, that okay, because we're not the ones being affected by it. Yeah, yeah, definitely great, great point there, Paul. GPP. I think we should move on to this next story then. Yes. So, <laughs> got a couple, a couple different news sources this week. We had first Esquire, and now the second article coming to us from LadBible.com, possibly <laughs> a bearded vegan's first. This is from around August seventh, so a few weeks ago. Angry butcher swings raw meat at vegan protesters. So I'm going to read a little bit from this. A butcher has been filmed waving hunks of meat at vegan protesters in Leeds. The butcher reacted angrily when security asked the protesters to leave Kirkgate Market in the center of the Yorkshire city, and they refused. The video clearly shows him approaching the protester recording the incident, having grabbed some meat from his counter, which he then forces towards the protesters' faces. Vegan protester Jeanette Lindstrom, who recorded the footage and bore the brunt of the bloody barrage, said the protest had been intended to be a silent protest using non-graphic placards, but they nonetheless received a particularly hostile response. She said, The abuse started immediately as we had turned the corner and become visible to the butchers. The butcher physically assaulted me with the animal body parts. He pushed them in my face and into the face of two others and forced it to the mouth of another who got animal blood on her cheek. Jeanette said, I had water thrown at me along with the other protesters from the guys who own the vegetable stall across the butchers. My phone got soaked, among other things. Everyone was attacked verbally, progressing into very violent verbal threats. We were told we were going to receive physical abuse if we did not move or stop recording and that our equipment would be smashed. A butcher even took it upon himself to sit a whole pig's head on top of his counter, staring at the protesters. Andy, did you watch this video? I did watch this video. It's only about two minutes long. Yeah, it's certainly like it. It it does not start. You're kind of just like placed in the thick of it. I would say you're not like you don't see the protesters walking up to it. But yeah, you certainly see this this one individual from the butcher shop kind of going around like just pushing meat into people's faces. You don't see the the water being thrown at the the protesters from the vegetable stall, but but again. Andy, I feel like this is what I was getting at in this last point, because in these comments, which I would not suggest anyone read for this article, (laughs) it's like most people are siding with the the butchers and they're like, oh, like, how would you like it if someone came into your business and protested you? And again, I think that it all just it comes back to this idea that that even if it was a silent protest where they're holding nonviolent like billboard like uh, signs it's still seen as a disruption and therefore no matter what it is they're the ones that are in the wrong and they're the ones that are going to receive the brunt of the punishment and they deserved this to happen to them and blah 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 so i am interested andy that this got such a it's seemingly seemingly a different reaction than the, the 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 dude chewing a hunk of bloody meat yeah, you know, we had a few people send us this, and uh, I think it was Michael who sent it in, along with some commentary that said, 
that it seems like this will be a moment that is sort of a counterexample of us talking about, you know, we had that episode where we talked about all these protests that were targeting single restaurants or butcher shops and how ultimately it was better for the restaurants that these protests happen and that the sort of the opposite of the protesters aims were achieved. They were just the, the restaurant would get public opinion on their side and it would just be great for them. And that maybe this would be an opposite because this is a butcher that is just reacting so like wildly out of out of place but i don't yeah i don't think that the comments really bear that out and i was trying to find other comments and other sources because this was covered in a few places but yeah it seems like in general even even with this butcher just reacting very violently and obscenely that the public is still kind of like well they should just mind their own business they shouldn't be there doing this type of protest and and this is, as you pointed out, it's a silent protest. They're holding non, non-graphic signs, which is, I guess, about as low-key as you could expect to get at a protest of this nature. Yeah. And even then, the butcher has this like violent reaction. And I'm sure there are probably some people out there that, that look at this that are not vegan and go, wow, that they have a right to protest and, and he should not have reacted this way. But it seems like the majority of people are like, yeah, the, that's what those vegans deserve. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think it maybe doesn't surprise me too much that that's the reaction because uh, what's the place? Antler in Toronto when we covered mm-hmm. that that whole thing. I mean, that guy went to the window and was like butcher he came out and butchered uh i think it was a deer and and this is i i mean this is obviously this is further than that but i feel like it's only a little bit further than that like that would have that's like this is like the one step further than a restaurant owner coming out and like butchering a deer in front of vegans is actually like taking the butchered parts and then like shoving it in their faces yeah, I mean, it sort of crosses a line into physical assault. So I think that maybe that's where a lot of people you would expect to get more sympathy for the protesters. But I think that, you know, a lot of people still will see it as, well, these vegans are just getting what they deserve. They're just trying to interrupt a guy that's that's doing his job. Yeah. Yeah. So so I don't know. I don't know. It's 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 disappointing to me when I was that I was reading the comments and they were so supportive towards the butcher because it is like wildly inappropriate. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, it has me reflecting on the episodes and the discussions we did have regarding the efficacy of these individual protests. I have not been able to find anything that was talking about what exactly they were protesting or what exactly their goals were. So I guess we can't really, really comment on that and how effective it is depending on what they're actually trying to achieve. But yeah, it, it, to me, it's almost goes to show that even when you're doing a protest in a very respectful way, it's still likely that public opinion is going to get turned around on you. So it's really important to pick and choose your targets and understand how to use media in your favor. Yeah. And definitely having, you know, having, I think uh, Lauren Ornelas talked about this in our recent live episode, you know, having these clear goals and and having these clear and realistic goals because you know it's like it it might not be super realistic to expect this butcher shop to shut down completely and maybe that's not what they were trying to do but i don't know i don't know and and then the fact that the vegetable stand across the way was also reacting so negatively to them too is just depressing 
Yeah. I mean, maybe they were just there basically trying to do vegan outreach and, and doing it at the site of purchase. So, you know, who knows? I guess we can't really comment further on that, but I think it would be good for, for those that are choosing to engage in future protests to pay attention to that live episode that we did with Lauren because you had so many great points about picking and choosing your targets and, and how to make your ask. All right. Shall we move on to this last piece? Let's do it. I think we'll end it on what could potentially be perceived as a more uplifting piece of news. Yeah. So the title of this piece is Tyson Isn't Chicken, and it's coming to us from Bloomberg.com on August 15th. And it's it's basically a profile of this guy, Tom Hayes, who's the new CEO or new-ish CEO of Tyson Foods. And... I don't know. It's pretty interesting, and there's a few things I want to specifically highlight, but the the sort of the subtitle of Tyson Isn't Chicken is virtually all of the company's revenue comes from animal slaughter and processing. Now its new CEO is pouring money into animal-free alternatives. Mm. Yeah, so it's pretty interesting. So the article kind of just sort of starts off by laying out just how immensely oppressively huge Tyson Foods Mm -hmm. is. They produce one out of every five pounds of animal flesh that are consumed in the United States. Jeez. Yeah. And it just sort of goes over the, the billions of dollars that, that they, they make and, and all the, the little subsidiary companies that they have a part of and how like half of those products from the, the prepackaged, you know, sausages and all that stuff are going to fast food restaurants. And and essentially in this article, uh, Hayes admits that basically they're so big that the industry can't change unless they specifically change and start to lead the way, like change in any large, meaningful, significant way. So, yeah, they're, they're almost like this. I don't know if it's the right term for this, but too big to fail kind of thing. Like they, they're just so big that they really dictate what happens in the industry. They have the ability to determine how animals are treated. Not that you and I are, are big on welfare necessarily, but it just sort of really lays out just how immense this company is. But then it kind of transitions to what that, that, that sub-headline was getting at, which is now they're trying to put money into animal-free alternatives. A lot of those things are topics that we have covered before i know we talked about green street which is their their vegan protein bowl company that they're they're starting up and we were very unexcited by the offerings because it was just like quinoa and chickpea bowls (laughs) yeah yeah you know you would expect that like this this meat giant this protein giant would come up with something more interesting than that something that's not available pretty widely from a number of places already but hey, and then we also talked about how they invested an undisclosed amount to purchase or to invest in 5% of Beyond Meat. And this actually turns out that they they led, an, after investing in the 5%, they led another round of investment. And that enabled them to triple their production. Like Whoa. if you haven't if you haven't noticed, those Beyondbergs are everywhere, Paul. They are. And all these other Beyond products as well are popping up. You know, I had a beyond sausage for breakfast and it was fantastic (laughs) the snap is real hashtag yeah so anyway so then it kind of goes to talk about how they've become interested in and, and and invested in the the cultured meat the clean meat the lab grown meat and just sort of talking about how they're trying to transition from being a a meat company to a protein company whether that's animal flesh 
plant-based protein or cultured meat or clean meat, Mm -hmm. which I thought was pretty interesting. So I'm just going to read this last little paragraph from this, this relatively, it's about a 20 minute long read, uh, profiling this guy and the company and the changes and, and let me read from that. So Hayes says he quote, can't imagine a world where there aren't animals raised and used for human consumption in my lifetime. Anyway, Nothing from a petri dish or a soy extruder, he reasons, will ever fully conjure the eating experience of crispy fried bacon or a grilled T-bone steak. But he does see animal-free proteins eventually becoming a substantial part of the $200 billion market for meat. Hayes says the variety of approaches to meatless meat production will be crucial to the sector's long-term success. Just as you see many different electric car models on the market right now, there won't be a silver bullet. Customers love choice. Tyson plans to remain an investor rather than a producer of these products until they mature a bit more, he says. But alternative meat production will likely happen in-house down the line. Quote, if we can grow the meat without the animal, why wouldn't we? End quote. Hmm. So this is pretty interesting. I, I feel like it's we should say that Tyson has a pretty horrible record on all fronts. Mm-hmm, obviously, mm-hmm. obviously with the the animal exploitation, but there's been some exposés that came out in the last few years about their human rights violations. People might remember that Washington Post article that was titled something along the lines of like I, I had to wear diapers, where employees were denied bathroom breaks or reprimanded for taking bathroom breaks. And uh, all the reports coming about about how they are actually one of the worst polluters on the planet, more than certain oil and gas companies. And things are not things. They don't have a great track record, Paul. They do not. And and uh, maybe I'm just buying into exactly what the CEO wants us to do, which is be like, oh, well, maybe he's actually a good guy type of type of thing. Maybe he's just trying to put this out as a PR thing. But I don't know when I read that. It makes me think like some part of him deep down like wants to make meaningful changes and isn't just the, you know, like the greedy Mr. Monopoly that we kind of all envision him to be or envision someone of his status to be. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'm wrong. Again, maybe this is exactly what the image that he wants to put out to make just to make him and the company look better. But I don't know. I feel like it's a it's a Grinch type thing where it's like deep down there somewhere there's there's something that could make his heart grow three times the size and and make some meaningful changes because I don't know like why like he doesn't have any reason I I feel like to say something like if we can grow meat without the animal why wouldn't we it's like his whole business his whole I'm sure millions and millions of dollars that he makes is based on the growing like harvesting meat from slaughtered animals so for him to say like oh we should do like why wouldn't we do this different thing like i don't see a reason why he would have to say that he knows that the general public opinion besides the relatively low percentage of vegans and vegetarians in the world the general public opinion is in his favor for the thing that he does which is like grow animals to then kill them and eat them. So it's like, I don't think he has any reason to try to put on this facade that he, there is some part of him that thinks that this is wrong. What do you think? I, I reject your claim that he's in the business of selling animal flesh. I think he's in the business of making money 
and doing it in the most efficient way possible. And he recognizes that the consumer market is shifting, even if it's not vegans driving it, that even if it is just a lot of people that are veg curious or trying to cut down on their environmental impact, whatever it is, and that sees that that's the way the market is going and realizes if we could produce this without you know, the risk of contamination. He says in the article that contamination is basically their single biggest risk factor that costs them a lot of money and that there's almost no risk of like E. coli contamination with the clean meat. And so that would just cut down on lawsuits and recalls and all of these things. And obviously meaning that they don't have to buy the feed and have the land and all of these things. And he just realizes it's clearly better business to be able to grow like they could produce all of the meat that they want to produce, the clean meat that they want to produce in like a skyscraper sized thing and have very little footprint on the actual planet mm -hmm. and be able to put one of those near every major city and not have to worry as much about the transport and the water inputs and all of these extra costs. Like, I mean, like part of me believes that, of course, he's like, I would do the right thing if it was the cost effective thing to do. Yeah, I don't. You know, he's clearly not like invested in maintaining the exploitation of animals, regardless of if it would be more expensive or not. Yeah, you know, like he he's just sort of going where the money is now. Whether someone thinks that's a good or a bad thing, that this isn't driven by altruistic motivations, I guess that's up for for debate in another conversation. But but I don't I don't think that to me it's very clear. That they brought this guy and like the article is talking about how they, they brought him on and he's making all these changes. There's all this fluffy stuff about making sure the animals have a life that's worth living and making sure that they only have one bad day and all all this stuff that like we clearly know is crap. It, it, yeah. You know, like it, it sounds nice. It sounds like this nice flowery language that makes us feel good about exploiting the animals. But I think ultimately it's just... It's just like a nice way of saying that profit is driving him towards a more profitable production. Yeah, no, I, I, I think I do agree with you. I, I think I just want to hope that there is some good deep down in him that that will make actual meaningful changes. I mean, like I don't foresee in my in, in the near future Tyson like ending production of animal products and switching completely. But I think if if they if they make meaningful changes, I think it would have a big impact, even if that doesn't mean going completely vegan. Like if they switch, if they start making these changes, I think other companies will follow them. So I, I think that they have the ability to make a huge impact, which is why I hope that they do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I don't. I don't know. It's hard for me to think of this as like a bad thing, but I guess I'm also just wary of it, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. No, I, I like, I think I'm being maybe too optimistic about it, but I hope that I'm wrong or no, I hope that I'm right. <laughs> well, all right. I guess we'll, we'll leave all that meat based news there, Paul, mm. until next time. I feel like now we have to have like an egg themed news roundup yeah. for <laughs> the next episode or something or a honey themed one. But yeah, we got to get to this interview. But before we do, we have to thank all of our amazing Patreon donors who joined us in the last week. These are people that have decided to support the podcast at the rate of at least $1 a month, sometimes much more than that. 
Doing so gets people access to our Patreon-only feed, which means you get at least one new bonus episode a month and access to the back catalog of bonus episodes. So right now there's eight, I think eight full bonus episodes and three or four mini episodes, food episodes, things like that up there. And of course, any other little fun updates that we, we post in there. So and you can also get merch, you can get early access to episodes, all that good stuff. And if you want to get in on that action, you just head over to thebeardedvegans.com slash beardo. Follow the Patreon link. So huge, huge, huge thank you to Amy R. Lori S. Ashley. Natalie M. Sandra L. And Josie. That's Joe Cool. Joe, not Josie of the Pussycats fame, but Joe <laughs> C. So thank you. Thank you very much yeah, to everyone for, for helping us out. We're going to have another bonus episode coming down the pike very, very soon. Mm-hmm. And with that said, let's get on into our interview with Chris Cooney, a.k.a. The Vegan Zombie. All right, our guest today is Chris Cooney, the creator and host of The Vegan Zombie. Chris, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Hi, Andy, and thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you on. Paul and I, you know, as we talked about earlier in the show, we were so excited because you're someone that's been this YouTube presence in both of our lives for so long, and you're someone we've wanted to have on. Now we finally have a good reason to have you on. But before we get to that, we always like to start by asking our guests, you know, how and why they went vegan. So what did that look like for you? What was your life like? What were you like before you went vegan? What was that transition like? Was there a spark? Tell us all about it. Sure. Um, So I had always uh, loved animals since I was a little kid. When I was I was really into martial arts, and at the time, my my good friend that lived across the street, his family friend was into ninjutsu, which is a, a, um, a form of martial arts, and he said that he would start training us, and I was best day of my life at the time, being 14 years old, and uh, we started training different, you know, things from ninjutsu, and one day, when we started out our class, he said, well, you know, the, the ancient ninjas were predominantly vegetarian. And what I have with me here today is uh, some things that we're going to eat. And he had a block of just raw, uncooked, unmarinated tofu. He had some tabbouleh and some green tea. So for me, I was so excited. I'm like, well, if the ancient ninjas ate this and they were vegetarian, then I want to do this too. And I tried those all. And from that day on, I went vegetarian. Um, it was something unique. It was a, it was a fun new challenge. My parents did not support me at the time, and I made it happen anyway. I started. That's when I really started learning to cook my own foods. And you know, at age 14, you know, I didn't have a job, so I couldn't make money to buy my own things. But I would start learning to make you know different rice and pasta, and you know, basically that kind of stuff is what I would eat. And I was a strict vegetarian because I also I didn't want anything to do with hurting animals, and. I didn't have any of the information that were uh, that's available today because this is back in 1990 before the internet existed. And as as time went on, I started learning more and more. I, I was a strict vegetarian in the sense that like I wouldn't eat anything that I knew was killing an animal. I didn't realize at the time 
that what, what the dairy industry did to animals. So I thought as long as the animal wasn't being killed and they weren't being hurt. So for instance, like I would eat cheese, but if it had rennet in it, and some of us know that rennet is the lining of a goat stomach or a cow stomach, so that means the animal died for that. If that was one of the ingredients, I wouldn't eat that. So I was a pretty strict vegetarian. And as time went on and I started learning more and more, I was 18 years old. Uh, it was September 23rd, 1994, so almost exactly 24 years ago. I made the connection and said that uh, I don't want any part of any kind of harm with, with these animals because now I'm learning more about the dairy industry now. Um, but also I, I made the, 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 I guess the, the connection that anything from an animal, meat, dairy, eggs, whatever, is not considered, I don't consider it food anymore. So no more than I would eat my phone would I want to eat anything that came from an animal. And I understood people did this, but for me, I knew that there was hundreds of thousands of other things out there that I could, you know, mash up with different, you know, plants and nuts and seeds and just make different uh, recipes from that. And I could easily survive and, and um, get by. And, and not only that, I would feel great and th actually thrive on it. So I've been doing that um, for, yeah, for, for, for many, many, many years, more of my life than I haven't. So that's how, that's how it started for me. Wow, that's that's impressive. Actually, I'm curious, how did you get that information when the internet did not exist? Were you handed a leaflet? Did someone tell you about it? How did how did that happen for you? No, actually, um, nobody inspired me except for that initial spark with my 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 friend's family friend that wanted us to to train ninjutsu. But he wasn't into it for any reason other than that's the he was more of like a Buddhist kind of like minimalist. Uh, he trained the ancient ways that they did. And he was uh, at the time, I believe, I, I don't think he finished on his life. He, uh, you know, rest in peace to him. He passed away last year, but um, he finished his life like not. I don't think he was a vegan or a vegetarian. I didn't really have any contact with him after that. But yeah, like I. I I started out uh, just kind of learning as I went on and just what I would learn. And, and at the time, it was a very close knit. So, like, I had friends that were vegetarian, and then I started to meet, a, you know, a few people that, that were vegan. And so, like, the way we would get the word around would we'd be like, hey, I found a new – um, a new thing that was vegan at uh, the grocery store, and now we would know that. Um, uh, because again, we didn't have cell phones or the internet to like show people all the great new vegan products and vegan companies. Very, they they were very far and few back then. Um, I mean, there was always you know Tofuti and Tofurky, uh, the vegan A's follow your heart, those things. But you couldn't find those in most stores. So we would um, we'd find accidentally vegan things. We'd make our own things, and you know the very few things that we would know. Um, we, you know, we'd have, but there was no vegan certification, anything back then. So it was a little more difficult, but I never found it to be hard. It was, for me, it was kind of like a fun challenge. It was like a new part of my life and I felt good about it. I felt good about what I was doing mentally and physically. So some, at some point during this lengthy vegan journey you've been on, you decided to start the vegan zombie. And I'm just wondering what was the impetus for that? How did it come together for you? Well, at that point, we have to go kind of further back. I've always been involved in film in some way. I love making film. Um, I was kind of born into it. My dad loved making film himself. So he had, I mean, nothing professional, but he had like a little movie camera and he was doing, you know, 
creative little movies even before I was born. So when I was born, he always took movies of me. And as I grew up, we kind of did fun little skits and, and, and we made like different movies with my friends and my, my younger brothers and sister. And when I was 16, all my friends were saving up to buy cars and, and I bought a camcorder because remember back when I was 16, there were, there were no cell phones or camera phones. It wasn't that easy. They didn't, cameras didn't come that easy. You had to buy a camcorder. So I had my friends drive me around in their cars while I documented everything. And when it was time for me to decide what I wanted to go to college for, it was still before the internet, before the internet was getting big or anything like that. There was no YouTube or anything. So I kind of weighed my options. I really wanted to be like some kind of film director, but I wasn't independently wealthy. I didn't know anyone in Hollywood. I didn't feel like I really had too much of a chance. So I opted out for, um, you know, something different. And I wanted to, at the time, I really wanted to solve violent crimes for the FBI. I wanted to be a special agent in the FBI. So I went to school, I got the degree, uh, went for criminal justice, I got my bachelor's, I got work experience. I ended up becoming a special investigator under the federal government. I did national security. I liked it at the time because it was a stepping stone and I worked really hard to, to get that end goal, which was the special agent. And, um, you know, I would, you know, you're told every, I would, at least I was by the time I was uh, in first, second grade, you can do anything you put your mind to. And, and I put 12 years of my life into, you know, just trying so hard to get in the FBI. And I ended up failing. And when I say this, like, I didn't quit. I hit the age requirement and I could never do it again. I was really bummed out about that. And the, the job that I did have as a federal investigator, which was a different agency, it just, it sounds cool, but it was not fun at all. I really hated it. And it, it was only a stepping stone job. So I was really, really bummed. I did a lot of driving for this job. Like I would drive to different um, places and do interviews. And, you know, I'm, I figured I'm always sitting down. I'm sitting down when I'm driving. I'm sitting down when I'm typing up the reports when I come back home. I'm sitting down when I'm interviewing these people. And I really hated it. I didn't want to, you know, spend the rest of my life doing this and then retire years down the line. And that's all I have to show. And I got really bummed out about it. And I said, well, I could sit here and feel sorry for myself, or I could come up with something that, that I actually like doing. And I was driving the up the back roads of upstate New York, and this is uh, early spring of 2009. And I just said to myself, I said, "What do I love? What what brings me passion? What can I get up every day and be happy about and and feel good about?" And immediately, I'm, I I went back to my roots, and I said, "I love making movies. I especially love the horror genre, and I've been vegan all you know half of my life, so that's just a given. How can I take those three things that I love?" And, and create something that I, I'm passionate about. And immediately I started coming up with ideas for you know different themes like werewolves, um, vampires, and then all of a sudden I had an, a really cool idea for a zombie movie with a vegan theme to it. And I went home and I wrote up a script and then I wanted to film the script, but at the time the internet has just like, you know, you know, been, you know, blowing up and YouTube is out now and you know, you can have your home uh, studio editors like uh, Premiere and Adobe, Adobe Premiere and Final Cut, where you could do all this professional stuff yourself at your desktop. And I, I just started trying to teach myself that kind of stuff so I could make a decent movie on a low budget. Um, 
And, and that's basically what I did. I started, I, I knew that the best way to do this was just to go out and start creating. And, and that's when I had the idea, why don't I just start a YouTube channel? There's nothing out here at the time. At the time there was no cooking channels or really any vegan channels. So I thought, I thought I could make a vegan cooking show set in a zombie apocalypse. That way I can share my vegan recipes with people. And at the same time, I can learn editing and filming and all that stuff. So when I make my movie, I know what I'm doing. And I reached out to my friend John and I said, hey, I want to make this you know, cooking show on YouTube. Do you want to be the host of the show? And he's like, yeah, this sounds awesome. So we started doing that and sharing our, our recipes. And it kind of took off uh, bigger than we thought. More people were watching it. The, the, the views were like you know, more views than I'd ever had in my life. Usually I make a, a short little movie and I show it to my friends and family, no more than 10 or 15. And now I've got like hundreds and, and thousands of people watching the video. And then we ended up doing a Kickstarter for a cookbook because people started um, telling us that they wanted us to make our recipes into a cookbook. And we fan funded that through Kickstarter. And uh, I didn't think we were even going to reach our minimal goal. Um, but I said, hey, if we do it, I'll, I'll, I'm more than happy to make a cookbook. So within three days, we made our goal. And within the, the final 30 days of the Kickstarter, we made almost three times what we were looking for. And now we have a vegan cookbook that is translated to French, German, and in English. So very happy about that. And here we are 10 years late, almost 10 years later, uh, still doing the YouTube show. Wow, I, I I had no idea so much <laughs> about your your backstory there, being an FBI investigator, and that, that's totally just kind of blowing my mind right now. <laughs> so I, I've been following this vegan zombie, the YouTube channel, for a, a very long time now, and I noticed that there's been sort of this shift where you were behind the camera most of the time, and now you're in front of the camera most of the time. So I wonder if you could just sort of talk about like the shift in the channel, what it's like to be in front of the camera more now, and, and just anything you can elaborate in that regard. Okay, right. So yeah, you have been watching us for a, a long time. Um, I, I, when I wrote this, I was completely camera shy. I had no intention of being in front of the camera. I, I really just wanted to make something to, uh, to, to educate, inspire people uh, to want to go vegan. We, we started out with basically um, the, all the comfort foods that people say, well, you know, I go vegan, but I really can't do without this. So we went ahead and we made all those versions, delicious versions of comfort foods, so people can say, well, now I have it, now I can go vegan. So, you know, we just wanted to make a fun way to do this, but I never wanted to be in front of the camera. I just I guess I had very uh, low confidence, low self-esteem in front of the camera. I didn't like talking in front of the camera. So John was the perfect person in front of the camera. I was behind it, and I directed it. I, you know, I, if I didn't like the way he said something, I said, what, why, why don't we try it this way and say it more like this? And, and that worked out well for many years, but then it got to the point where John was just too busy with his other job, and he just didn't really have the time to do it anymore. And he started to pull away from it. I think he started to become more like I was um, as far as like he started getting more anxiety. Um, I, I don't think he would mind me talking about this because he's been he's been talking to me about it lately too. He wants to get in front of the camera, but he's got a lot of anxiety and he doesn't really have a lot of time. So he kind of pulled back from this. And when I saw that happen, I knew that either one of two things, he's gonna pull away and if I don't get somebody to replace him, then I'm going to lose everything that I worked hard for and everything that I'm passionate about. And I didn't want that to happen. 
And I knew that up to, up to that point, it was like, I don't mean to be negative, but it was really hard to actually really truly count on anyone other than myself. So I knew at that point, the best thing for me to do was to get in front of the camera and uh, then I only had to rely on my, myself. I only had myself to blame or whatever. So I reluctantly did that. I was really scared. I didn't like it. The first video I ever filmed, it, it took me literally six or seven hours to film because I redid every take. I hated the way I said it. And then when I went and edited the video, I put it up and I was really, really nervous to put it up in public because it was the first video without John in it. And I, I just had this feeling that people were going to reject it, that they were going to only want John. They didn't want anything to do with me, even though I was the creator of it. I was the one that made every episode. And, and you know, some of that kind of bummed me out when I saw the comments. But I put it up there, and I was about to delete it as soon as I got, like, a bad comment. And it ended up uh, going on to be one in one of my, my best-viewed videos that I've ever made. It was How to Cook Tofu Right. And... I guess it did all right, and people liked it. I mean, when I watch it now, I cringe at it, but uh, I'm I'm a lot better now because of forcing myself in front of the camera. Um, and I've been doing this now for maybe, what, three years, where it's, it's only me in front of the camera. And now I'm completely fine, and it's really helped me out in a lot of ways. I do have more confidence, and I could never do this before, but I could go in front of an audience. I've done, you know, I've hosted demos at, you know, major veg fests around the country, and even out of the country, I did one in Montreal was the last one I did with, you know, literally hundreds of people there watching. I, I would never be able to do that in the past. And I just went on to speak. And one of the ways that I, I taught myself how to do that was that I just told myself that I'm, I'm just as good as anybody else in this world that's living on this planet right now. Uh, you know, this is my time just as much as anybody else's time. So in 100, 150 years from now, um, I'll be dead and gone, so make the best of what I have now and don't regret anything. And really all I have to do is talk about what I'm an expert at more than anyone else, and that's my life. So I'm just telling my story of my life, and I've been vegan for so long that it's so easy for me to just tell my story and answer those questions. So that's basically what I did, and that's how I came from not being able to do it to being comfortable doing it where I am now. Wow, I can I can actually relate to so much of that because I used I used to be in a band and in a band you rely on so many people and I was the guy that was booking the tours and doing the merch and and I always just hated that I had to rely on other people. So like yeah. me me doing compassion company is almost like me sort of being like I'm just my own merch guy now and I'm going to travel around and I can do what I want and I don't have to rely on anybody else and Exactly. Uh, so I can totally relate to that as well as also just sort of doing the podcast and becoming comfortable with listening to my own voice, which always used to make me cringe and all of that. So I can totally, here, yeah. <laughs> can totally empathize with you on that. And yeah, the, the channel has sort of shifted from purely cooking videos to now it's almost more of this, I guess you would call like vegan lifestyle. Like you're exploring new products. You're, you're going to Aldi and finding all of the new vegan stuff that they offer. You're visiting a vegan restaurant and doing stuff like what you eat in a day. And I'm wondering, is that because it's easier content for you to produce? Does it speak to you more? Do you feel like that's more what people want to see now? Uh, like, could you explain like the direction that you're heading in now? Well, yeah, I mean, I think there was a few things with that. Like I all my, my vision and, and some of my favorite videos that I've ever done were those zombie videos where I, we're really doing it like cinematic and we're kind of acting and showing people 
you know, a fun way um, to promote veganism, like showing you how to cook a delicious meal in, a, you know, a silly zombie apocalypse. I mean, all of our all of our videos are family and kid friendly. But yeah, I think that now it's just it's so much of a production to do that, and without the help of of other people, because I used to film. Uh, I knew the angles I wanted. I knew the direction I wanted. So I would just tell John to do certain things, and I would, you know, kind of improvise and make it look more like a zombie. I can't really do that with myself. I got to put it up on a tripod and stuff like that. So it just became easier. And I also noticed that, um, you know, people people wanted to see other things. And even though, like, I started out prim primarily as a cooking channel, I wanted to do other things just to show people how easy it is uh, at least for me to show veganism to the world. And I wanted to show, I wanted to make it as easy as possible for people. And like you said, like I do vegan on a budget videos. I go to different vegan restaurants. I'll do reviews. I'll do unboxings. I'll interview other vegan celebrities. And I want to show people like everything I can to make veganism easier in their life. And also I had to come to, to the, the um, realization that you know, everything changes, nothing stays the same. So I was okay with that because that was the progression that the channel was going um, after, you know, doing this for almost 10 years. Right on. Well, so that, that brings us to the reason we really wanted to get you on something that speaks very much to my heart, both zombie films and veganism. Uh, this new project that you are working on called A44. So tell us, you know, what's the what's the backstory behind this film coming to light? Okay, so the backstory, I already kind of mentioned it. So way back when I told you that I was driving the back roads and I came up with the concept of the vegan zombie and I went and I wrote that film script that is the original film script that I wanted to write. So that film script 10 years ago that I wasn't ready to film at that point is now come full circle. And um, back in June, a couple months ago, I went down to Pittsburgh for the 40-year um, anniversary of Dawn of the Dead. It's a George Romero movie. George Romero was the uh, the godfather of zombies. He, he wrote, he did Night of the Living Dead and everything. And I'm a huge fan of that. So I went down there and I met some of the um, the zombie celebrities and stuff. And I did a, a live uh, a live broadcast in in the cemetery where they filmed Night of the Living Dead. And one of my longtime followers reached out to me and said, Chris, I, I, uh, I do movies out here in LA, and if you're ever in town, you know, maybe you could be in one of the movies. And I'm thinking, oh, that'd be great. You know, I used to be an extra, you know, I'd love to be an extra in your movie. And she's like, well, I was thinking more of along the lines of speaking part. And I was like, oh yeah, I would totally do a speaking part. And she says, great, you're gonna be in a scene with Colin Farrell. And I'm like, whoa what um and i you know i'm like is this for real and then we started talking and then she got to the real point what she wanted to ask me was if i wanted to shoot my movie um professionally because she saw me talking about the script many times and she's wanted to reach out to me for over a year now and we've been talking like almost every night for two months i've revised my original script so again i wrote it about 10 years ago it was only 40 pages um, but a, a pretty cool story. And I took it back out and I more than doubled it. It's now a full feature. And she went and uh, put her professional touch on it because I'm not a professional screenwriter. I just wrote the story. I told her what I wanted 
um, the things in my head. I told her, and she turned that into a professional script. She used to do. She used to write for Will and Grace and Sopranos and several other things. So, and she's an award-winning author. Uh, uh, she's also a director, and we're gonna do this real. So, I mean, this isn't me going out in my backyard with my friends with my DSLR putting this on YouTube. This is a real movie that has so many cool things that I want to talk about. And we have um, professional actors. Now, my favorite movie of all time um, is E.T. And we have an actor from E.T. I can't announce the, the actors just yet, but hopefully really soon. And that's just because of the agents and funding and all that kind of stuff. But so we have somebody from E.T., somebody from Goonies, uh, somebody from the movie Elf, and also Platoon. And... Next week, I'll be going out to, to L.A. to meet with some of them, and I think I'm going to be able to reveal at least one of the actors. So I got my fingers crossed for that. Anyway, so this is a real zombie movie, so it's going to satisfy all the diehard horror fans. A couple of our actors are very respect, very respectable um, actors in some, some well-known horror movies as well as some other great movies out there. But also, the movie has a vegan theme to it. And, it's, and, and this has the potential to go mainstream. We have top-tier representation, which leads to distribution. So we're almost guaranteed Netflix. Um, you can never guarantee theaters, but we have a good chance of getting in theaters worldwide. And that's what I'm really hoping for. Um, but the distribution on this is worldwide. Or, I mean, Netflix alone has 125 million followers. So... This is huge for veganism because I don't know that there is another movie that's strictly vegan, promoting veganism, that's in the mainstream, or that's a horror movie. So so the other thing about this is um, Brooklyn, the co-director with me, we're both longtime vegans. All of the products that we want to feature in this movie are only going to be vegan, which gives um, a great incentive to those smaller vegan companies that always get looked over when big movies come out. The, the catering on set is going to be all vegan. We have a special effects guy, George Schminke, who is, he was on the sci-fi show Face Off, and he made it to the end, so he's incredibly talented. And he's going to be using all vegan makeup products. And then here's the really cool thing. So we're doing a Kickstarter right now to, to fund a portion of what we need to shoot this movie. And here's what I've been telling people, and I don't know if everybody understands the impact of this. If everybody, if all of our vegans in the vegan community get together and they all donate $1, we would be funded. But even if you can only donate $1, if you can donate more, that's awesome. But $1 goes to this and it gets funded and that movie goes out to theaters and Netflix. Well, your dollar is going to pay it forward for the rest of, well, the, the movie's life. And a movie like this goes on 10, 20, 30 years of the lifetime of a movie, depending on how, how good it is. Horror movies tend to do a little bit better because they become iconic and cult, cult following and all that. But we are going to donate um, a certain percentage of the proceeds. Now, the proceeds go out in like points, which are very, very much like stock points. So we're giving a couple of those points to two different animal sanctuaries, Tamerlane Farm Sanctuary and Mockingbird Farm Sanctuary, which means Every time this movie, if it makes it to the if we make this happen and it makes it to Netflix and it makes it to the theaters, every time that movie gets paid, the investors get paid 
And technically, those two sanctuaries are investors. So for the lifetime of that movie, every time it goes on HBO or Showtime or wherever it goes and it gets paid, those two sanctuaries get paid. So your dollar could stretch more than you could, you know, even real, you know, imagine. And that's what I think is really cool about this. So that's why we need the help of everybody out there to, to pitch in, and even if they can only pitch in a dollar, if they can't pitch in anything, share this, because honestly, I'm so excited about this, but if this doesn't get funded, then all it is is a dream. And right now, it's more than just fulfilling my dream. Obviously, it would fulfill my dream for this to come true. I mean, this is, this is huge for me. And it's huge for me to be in a scene and directing with somebody from my all-time favorite movie that I saw in the theaters when I was a little boy, twice so that's amazing to me but it's more altruistic than just me because this is going out to directly and indirectly um help animals and you know evidently help humans and um you know the environment and all of this because we have indirectly we have the vegan message which i think that we're doing we do it in a good enough way where even the most diehard horror fans that aren't vegan are going to be forced to think about their decisions. And then the whole thing that I just told you about the sanctuaries, which is direct, directly impacting them. So it's a great, it's a great project. And I just, I really hope that, uh, that we get funded and this goes forward. So I'm very excited about this. And if there's any other questions that I didn't answer right there, um, I'm totally willing to, I'm totally open to answer any of them. Yeah, I got I got a few for you. And of course, we'll put a link to that Kickstarter in the show notes for everyone to check out. Or you can also just go to Kickstarter and search for a 44. That should that should bring it up. But uh, yeah, let's let's back it up for a second. So you, you mentioned that it's a zombie film. I'm my nerdy question, of course, is what kind of zombies are you going to have? Right. Okay. So yes, it's a zombie. It's a zombie film. They're going to be faster than the George Romero Walking Dead zombies, but probably a little bit slower than the 28 Days Later. They're going to be a fast twitching zombie. So it is going to be a real zombie movie. It is going to have like you know it's scary like that. Um, um, but again, remember, you know, I'm going to be in it too. I play a character in it. My dog is going to be in it, Indy, the German Shepherd. So. If you guys watch the YouTube show, then I, I totally understand that not everybody likes horror movies, but I'm really hoping that people, you know, make an exception for this one and go see it. Yeah, well, I feel like zombies are certainly in the spotlight right now with, you know, of course, like Walking Dead being so popular. So I imagine that this thing could get a pretty big audience. Um, I'm wondering do you feel like you can divulge any information about the basic plot of the film, or is that going to be like totally secret? So basically, it's uh, you know there's a there's you know a college kid and he realizes that there's a problem in the small town that he lives in and that is uh, there's a zombie infection going on. People are falling ill and turning into these mindless creatures, and it's through the meat and the dairy that the people are eating. So that's the premise of it. Uh, the main character is a vegan himself, and it gets revealed later on, and that's one of the reasons why he is not turned into one of these zombies. So. Um, I don't want to reveal too much more, but um, it, it gets it gets down to like a really impossible decision that he has to make near the end of the movie. It's heartbreaking. Uh, I, I'm, I'm I'm going to say the movie will probably make you laugh and cry and jump and most of all make you think. It. You know, I got my inspiration for writing this. Like obviously it's a zombie movie and all, but 
like I, w- I grew up through the 80s and I loved all those movies like E.T. and Goonies and Stand By Me and all of those movies. And I really took a lot of my inspiration to write this horror movie through movies like E.T. and stuff like that. So there's an amazing story to it. There's a really good plot. And uh, I think people will be happy with it. Very cool. And so as far as like the vegan messaging goes, I'm wondering what kind of considerations did you have when trying to write that in terms of did you want to make it really overt or very subtle? Did you have a lot of changes in the script between 10 years ago? And like, how how do you try and find the the best way to get the message in your film, but maybe not have people feel like they're being beat over the head with it? Right, right. I think I, I did it pretty well. And I think I, I, I basically take kind of the same elements that I use all these years when I did the vegan zombie. So I didn't want to scare people away. I don't really like the in-your-face approach. And as I said, I'm a longtime vegan, so I've seen all the ways that people go about promoting veganism. I think there are some ways that are better than others, but I'm not going to like condemn anybody from what they're doing because I think they all have their place. But for me, I always wanted to make it fun, entertaining. I wanted people to think, and I wanted to educate people and inspire people. So with this movie, it's not like... I mean, the theme happens like right at the beginning and throughout, but it's not going to like be overly um, like an in-your-face kind of thing. It's very palatable because I know the I know the vegan fans are going to see the connection right away and they're going to love it. But uh, you know, the main the main goal is to get the non-vegans to think without wanting to walk out of the theater. So I and I don't want them to think that you know, oh, vegans are crazy and you know. I don't want anything to do with vegans. I want them to actually think in a way where it's going to relate to everybody in everyday life. And, and that's the way I do it. And I do it. Oh, I don't know if I, I, I'm going to be really hard and really try not to give it away, but like I do it in a way where, um, I guess everybody can relate, um, between two characters that, um, and that, that would be like the main thing. I, 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 I hope I'm not being too vague, but <laughs> I really don't want to give that away. Um, That's fine. I am am a big fan of protecting spoilers, so don't worry about it. (laughs) It's definitely not like an in-your-face kind of um, approach, but it's an approach where people can see. And not to mention the overlying theme is the meat and the dairy are what's causing this to go on. And when you really think about it, that, that is a very plausible case of, like, getting sick and stuff like that. So if there was ever a zombie apocalypse, I would say... I would I would advise people not to eat animals or, or livestock or anything like that. I mean, I would advise people to do that anyway when we're not in a zombie apocalypse. But you would think if, if that's what's happening, being communicable between, you know, humans, then why not through animals? So I would go for the plants. Yes. <laughs> um, and so sort of sort of in that vein, I'm wondering, I, I bet a lot of people would expect this film to be called The Vegan Zombie, but instead it's called A44. I'm wondering if you could talk about your choice to call it A44. Right. So at first I was kind of disappointed that I couldn't call it The, the Vegan Zombie because essentially that's what it is. And A44 is The Vegan Zombie. However, um, my, uh, my co-director, producer, um, basically had a talk with me and said, we can't call it that. Nobody's going to pick it up. People aren't going to go want to go see it. And that makes sense. I mean, all the vegans are going to want to go see it, but the non-vegans might say, I don't want to go see that movie just because they see the word vegan in there. They might think it's corny. They might already make their inferences about it. And I don't want that. So 
I, I was told to come up with another name for it, and I had no idea what I was going to name it. So I decided that I would keep writing the script, and somewhere along the line, maybe I would come up with a name. And sure enough, I, I started writing a part, and I said, this is the perfect name for it, and I'm going to call it this, and it was A44. And everybody I've told the name A44 give the same um, feedback to me. So I say, what, what do you think of when I say A44? And they all say, well, I like it, but I don't know what it is. I'm intrigued. I want to know more. And that's exactly what we want. We want people to want to know more. So we want people to hear A44 and hear that it's a zombie horror movie. Go see it. And they're going to get, you know, they're going to get themselves a nice zombie movie. But there's also going to be that theme that they're going to think of when they leave the theater. And hopefully when they leave the theater, they're not going to be like, well, let's go to McDonald's. They're not going to want to do that at this point. They're going to want to rethink those choices and, and hopefully want to do something other than that. So that's why I call it A44. And yes, it is significant. When you watch the movie, you'll understand why it's called A44. But I can't give that away right now. Well, I look forward to finding out why. So just want to circle back to that Kickstarter, which is which is going right now. And if everyone's listening to this in timely fashion, should have about two more weeks of the campaign to get in on that. Uh, what kind of rewards can people get if they do choose to back the film? Um, all kinds of rewards. We have about 20 days left, and we're 40% in right now as we're doing this interview. Um, there's all kinds of rewards, anything from just like a, a basic thank you to a download of PDF of the script all the way to like producer credit and actually getting a cameo being a zombie or, um, somebody in the, one of the scenes of the movie, uh, to come into having like a meet and greet kind of like, you know, eat on set with us, with our catering, with our gourmet vegan food and meet whoever's there that day filming and the cast and crew. All kinds of uh, rewards, really. Right some, on. some pretty fun ones there. Nice. Yeah, so I've, I've already backed it. I would encourage our listeners to do the same. Uh, if people listening want to follow, want either connect with you or follow along with the production, what social media do you have? What do you think is the best way for people to get in touch with you? Right. And thank you so much for backing us, and I appreciate that. Um, anywhere on the veganzombie.com, you can find this. I, I do a lot of uh, Instagram, uh, YouTube, Facebook. I've been going live pretty much every day talking about new updates for what we're doing here and uh, talking about the movie, answering questions, getting people, you know, if anyone's skeptical, answering questions like that. Also, A44, uh, we do have a webpage for it. It's A44 Movie, and that's A is an Apple, 44, movie.com. And we do have social media, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook for that. Um, on, uh, the newest update we have now is I just got a ticket to go out to L.A. and meet up face-to-face with uh, the director, do a Q&A with her, and then doing, well, she I, I should say co-director. I'm also a co-director, so we're both kind of co-directing. Um, George Schminke, the special effects guy, he's going to turn me into a zombie, show you guys what we're looking at here. So he's going to put the makeup on me as a zombie, and I'm going to do a Q&A live while we're doing that. Um, what else are we doing? We're meeting with um, Rick Greenwood, who is a director of photography. We're going to look at the cameras that we're going to be using, some of the lenses. And he's a professional in what he does. He teaches his stuff. So we'll probably do a Q&A with him as well. Uh, we might meet with, uh, with a couple of the line producers. And also, hopefully, 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 we have, a, we have a dinner meeting with one of the actors. And I'm really hoping that we're going to be able to announce at least one of the actors, hopefully two of the actors, 
And I think that would be really exciting to, to people out there. For some reason, the horror community has not picked us up yet. And we, we've reached out to many of them. So I don't, I, don't know what the, I don't know what it is, but we have a really good horror movie here. And we have some horror icons in the movie. So maybe once we release the names of those actors, they'll actually take us more seriously. <laughs> Right on. Well, again, we'll put a link to the Kickstarter and all your social media in the show notes. So definitely make sure you go check that out. And Chris, thank you so much for taking the time out of your very busy schedule to talk with me today. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I appreciate it. I'll come on anytime you want. Hell yeah. So we hope you enjoyed that interview with Chris Cooney, a.k.a. The Vegan Zombie. Again, as we said before, if you have any mailbag questions or if you just have anything you want to say to us, feel free always to email us at thebeardedvegans at gmail.com or you can, you know, leave a comment on our Instagram or our Facebook, but email is definitely the best place to go to. And Andy, what do you got? Do you got anything cool coming up? Yeah, September 15th, I'll be at the D.C. Veg Fest, Washington, D.C. September 29th and 30th, I'll be at Vegandale Food and Drink Fest in New York, New York. And that's all I'm going to say for now. I got a lot of stuff in October, November, but I'll announce those a little bit closer to the dates. If you want all those dates, deets, and links for, for September and beyond, just head to CompassionCo.com, and you can come find me or Paul or both of us behind the merch table at any of those events. Look for the bright green tablecloth and the unicorn t-shirt. Yes, I think I'll be at that DC one and maybe even the New York one. Well, goddamn, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Paul. Fun, ep- fun episode today. It's got me feeling lighthearted. It's got me feeling like I want to take some action to counter all this this meat-related crap that we've been talking about. <laughs> And I feel like the most equivalent thing to this guy walking around a vegan festival chewing on a, a, a pound or several pounds of, I think it was actually veal heart I read in one article. Mm. Like, I feel like this guy was like, I got to pick the one that'll be the most offensive animal flesh to the vegans. But I think the best countermeasure to this guy walking around a vegan festival munching on the meat would be for you and I to go to a bacon festival and just walk around shouting the following seven words. We are the Bearded Vegans, signing off. And we are the Bearded Vegans, a podcast featuring... What? Welcome to the show. I feel like if we were like, you know, the morning zoo crew radio, they'd be like, is meat eaters okay? (laughs) All right. So this first episode, no. Nope. Not an episode at all. You know, like it it sounds nice. It sounds like this nice flowerly, flowerly. What is this guy's name? Should have written that down. Should have written that down. Should have written that down.